Hello and welcome to this episode of X's in Opinions. I'm your host, Ryan Henry, joined alongside my analyst for the day, Matthew Sotabir. And Matthew, before we get started on today's episode, how are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm on vacation, but I'm glad to talk sports anytime. Yeah, you know, we're kind of in this like little weird respite period where, you know, it's kind of an, there's not a whole lot going on, but there are definitely some things to talk about. The big thing obviously being the MLB All-Star game, but there's also, there's also the NBA Summer League startup, and we're just around the corner from NFL training camp. So, you know, even though it's a low period right now, we're really going to start revving things up into gear these next couple of weeks. And the big storyline, MLB All-Stars have been announced, and overall I think is a pretty solid list. There's a couple of complaints I had about it, but before I give my opinions, Matthew, what were your thoughts on this All-Star game list? Was there anyone who you thought didn't make it? Were there a lot of big snubs? I just want to hear your thoughts on this. I didn't think there was any major issues with it. One thing that was notable was the Yankees did have six All-Stars and the Mets had four, so definitely a big year for New York. Yeah, I mean, you know, two of the best teams in all of baseball. I think the Yankees have been consistently doing well this entire year. And then as for as for the um, New York Mets, they've been kind of skidding, especially as of recently. There was a couple of guys I thought – that really should have made, I mean, Carlos Rodon has been kind of working off a sec- essentially another sensational season for the New York, or for the San Francisco Giants, excuse me. I thought he could have easily made as a starting pitcher. Zach Wheeler, he was the runner up in the Cy Young last year. He's had just an impressive of a season. He didn't make it, but with the MLB rule that every team has to have an all-star, there's bound to be some snubs. I mean, I don't know how I feel about the Miguel Cabrera Albert Pulis. I know they are legends, but I've always been weary of, you know, kind of giving these, like, quote-unquote fake all-star games, especially since, you know, all-star games and all-star selections are weighted so heavily when it comes to, like, legacy and if these guys are going to make the Hall of Fame or not. I don't know fully how to feel about it, but it is cool that they're honoring two of the greatest hitters in MLB history, even if they are not having the best of seasons. So, shifting over... Actually, do you want to talk a bit more about this or not? I think we're good. I mean, I was just thinking, though, how you were kind of talking about a veteran making it but not exactly deserving it. That kind of made reminded me of Kobe Bryant when he was in on the Lakers his last season. He was voted as an all-star over Damian Lillard, who was having a good season. And that's when they switched the rule. They got rid of the fan vote in some capacity. So it's kind of interesting there. I guess the MLB is just not exactly up to speed on that. Yeah, I mean, Kobe Bryant, there's a lot of examples in the NBA. I mean, Kobe Bryant back in 2016, I know a couple of years ago, D. Wade and Dirk were honorary selections. And I don't know, I've never been a huge fan of it just because of how much they are heavily weighted. I mean, you know, it's not like we're saying these guys aren't deserved like of Hall of Fame in terms of their career. I mean, Albert Pujols, Miguel Cabrera have had amazing careers, but where they stand in 2022, I don't think they're really that close of deserving of a spot. But shifting over to the NBA, the Summer League has started. The Las Vegas Summer League, I think, started a couple of days ago, but, you know, the past couple, like the past week or so, they had the Salt Lake City uh, Summer League and then the California Summer League. But now it's the entire Vegas Summer League starting, and there's been a few bright spots. There have been some rookies that have slumped. Overall, what are your thoughts and who? what rookies have really stood out for you thus far in Summer League? Well, just going to thoughts 
first of all. Mamu scored 28 points and had nine rebounds last night. Obviously, that's a big deal for all Seton Hall fans. We're excited to see him doing well. Hopefully, he can get a little bit more playing time next season on a good team like the Bucks. And rookies that have stood out so far, Jabari Smith, he's been struggling shooting the ball, and obviously a big part of his game is shooting. So that has stood out in a negative way. But he did have a bounce-back game last night. He did, I believe he had about like 19 points or something like that. So that was good for him. But Chet Holmgren, who is definitely the most hated prospect, I can firmly say that. He has been playing well, and he's been proving the haters wrong, really. But uh, Paolo Bencaro has been playing well, too. He's been leading the Magic to some good wins. Yeah, and I mean, it's interesting because Jabari Smith, out of the out of the top three guys, you know, that big three of Paolo Bancaro, Chet Holmgren, Jabari Smith, there was a lot of talk who was going to go one. Jabari Smith was going to go one for a bulk of the draft process, and then the Magic changed their mind basically within the last hour. But, you know, the big concern with Jabari going in was that he wasn't that much of a shot creator. And, you know, while the Houston Rockets do have those players – on the roster right now specifically like someone like Jalen Green and Kevin Porter Jr. in summer league he's really gonna he's really having to create a shot for himself which he really struggled at times at Auburn so it will be interesting if once he gets the chance to play off of a player like a Jalen Green who will set up more open looks for him if he'll continue to find he struggles or if it's just because you know he hasn't he hasn't been kept caught up with you know NBA kind of NBA level athletes yet that will be something to watch out for, and I, you mentioned Paolo Bancaro, who has been sensational. They, are, the Magic, already shut him down, which is a bit unfortunate. You know, you like seeing the rookies in their summer league. You know, these big head-to-head matchups. I think there's the Magic were supposed to play the Thunder. I can't remember if it was either the next couple of nights, but you know that big match between Chet and Paolo was supposed to happen, didn't end up happening. That's a bit unfortunate, but you know, it was really st- a player that's really stood out to me in terms of rookies has to be Keegan Murray. Now, I'll admit. I wasn't a huge fan of the Keegan Murray pick, not as a player. I thought he was the fifth best player in that like five, like eight range. But I really thought that the Kings should have, you know, found a way to trade down because Jay and Ivy was such a highly sought after asset. But Keegan Murray's been really doing his thing, averaging almost 20 points per game, leading the entire the entire class in terms of points, 20 points per game, shooting 43 percent from behind the arc on five attempts. I mean, he has been sensational, and you know, if he really keeps this form. He's really going to be the perfect complement next to a guy like, you know, De'Aaron Fox, Davion Mitchell, DeMontis Sabonis. So, you know, a lot of times people like to rag on the Kings for not making the smartest of decisions. But right now, Keegan Murray's been playing like an absolute baller. Yeah, I mean, they've definitely got to hope that he is a baller once he gets on the high level because the Kings haven't been good in forever. It's been 16 years since they made the playoffs. But... Admit it, I definitely was in favor of the Kings taking Jaden Ivey, or like you said, trading the pick away. So it's been interesting so far. He's kind of making me eat my words. Yeah, I mean, I don't think Jaden Ivey was the pick because I think you would have, even though Jaden Ivey I thought was a better talent, I thought it was going to be the same situation they had last year when they took Davion Mitchell. There would have been too many guards and not they all them talented, but they weren't going to get the opportunity to shine. So Keegan Murray really been the standout guy. Probably if he continues this play, will be summer league MVP if I had to assume but a couple other players I wanted to shout out Nikola Jovic not Jokic Jovic the uh you know coming over from Serbia obviously obviously, oddly enough the the wing who 
you know, showed promise and someone who maybe could have been a project, but he's really shown a lot of scoring potential just in his, you know, summer league. He's averaging almost 11 half points per game, shooting 43% from behind the arc. This is a guy I really wanted, you know, the Sixers to get with their pick. They ended up trading that for DeAnthony Melton, but I think this is a guy, if he really pans out, he could be a nice, solid rotational or even starter for a lot of teams in Miami. It looks like early on that they've already hit on another late-round pick, something that they have just been doing tremendously. And also, Moses Moody, the efficiency isn't where I want, isn't where the Warriors would want to be, but he's someone I was very high on in the 2021 draft. He's averaging almost, he's averaging over double-digit points in his two games with the Summer League. So those are a couple other players that stood out to me. I don't know if you have any other comments on this, Matthew. What do you think about Jaden Hardy? I'll throw you that one. Have you watched much of him yet? He's been I didn't a lot of looks. I didn't catch the game. I didn't catch the games he's played in, but I was I liked Jaden Hardy. I thought him going to Dallas was huge, especially since they lost Jalen Brunson. I saw he's been doing some work. That's a player I want to catch a summer league two or summer league game or two of his. But I was I thought he would have been a steal in the second round, and the fact that he went to Dallas and can kind of fill in that Jalen Brunson role or kind of evolve in that type of player. I love that fit for him. I definitely think it was a steal too. And since they picked up Christian Wood in the off season. He can play both ends, both offense and defense. He can give you 18 and 11 while also playing the defensive end. And the Mavs don't really have that defensive edge that you kind of need to get to the next level. Like Luke is not playing defense. It's probably JaVale McGee. You know, if you're just a casual fan, you're not going to be, oh, JaVale McGee got picked up by the Mavs. But if you've watched his work over the years, you know he's a good defensive player and he's going to be an important key piece to them. Yeah, and I mean, you know, if they – obviously the big thing for the Mavs is just getting that second star next to Luka. We know how talented Luka Doncic is. We just, you know, the other pieces haven't always been there this year. They were – or last season they were – they really stepped up, especially Brunson and once they acquired Dinwiddie in the deadline. And so now you have to look to kind of re – reload that talent, get a bit more talent. Also, another player that really stood out, we talked about Jabari Smith's been underwhelming, but Tari Eason, who's on the same team as him, he was taken, I, I want to say in the late teens, I can't remember the exact pick, but coming at LSU, another player I thought would be really huge for a lot of these playoff teams, and he's been really impressive, scoring almost 17 points per game on 46% shooting, has shown a lot of potential as a defensive player. If he can get his three-point shot a bit more consistent, he's like the perfect for a typical 3-and-D guy that could really fit on any team. Yeah, I definitely agree. It's just putting more pressure on Jabari, too. The fact that he hasn't been shooting well, and it's just a slump immediately. It's like, well, we got this guy who's picked later than you, and then you're the third pick here. You really got to be performing, and he just hasn't thus far. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, you know, there's still a long way to determine whether or not a player is a bust or not. And I obviously you don't want to start that, especially in summer league. So, and we even saw with Jalen green, he really struggled out of the gate. Like he was not that great at all. The first couple of months. And then once he started, once he got acclimated to the NBA game, he really started showing that scoring potential that people saw going into the draft process and was in the running for the last, for the last month or two for rookie of the year. So, you know, obviously there's a lot of time and especially with the Houston Rockets, they aren't expected to be good. So they'll, they'll deal with the growing pains of Jabari Smith if this does linger into next season or into this season, excuse me. So if there, was there any other players that really impressed you stood out from this summer league, you know, from summer league thus far? Not really anything else. Just what we've talked about so far. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, a lot of talented players. Also, shout out to Cam Thomas. I like, you know, from the Brooklyn Nets. That team has been a real mess this entire offseason. But regardless of what happens, at least they'll have the look. The at least they'll be able to look forward to him. Someone who I thought was a very special player coming out of LSU. So now, shifting over to the NFL, training camp is only one week away. You know, it's been since I second week of February. We haven't seen. NFL games and, you know, it's been a couple of months since free agency in the NFL draft, but football is almost back. And, you know, there's a couple of exciting teams up in New York, one more exciting than the other, in my opinion. So we'll start first with the team I'm more higher on personally, the New York Jets, the J-E-T-S, Jets, Jets, Jets. What are your expectations for the Jets going into this season? I think they'll be a little bit better, but at the end of the day, they're still the Jets. They're still never going to be great. And I think they're playing in a bit of a tougher division because the Bills are obviously a very good team. The Dolphins, I'm a Dolphins fan, so I know all about them. They're very good on paper, but two is a quarterback. I'm not high on him at all. And I don't, I think their, their peak is going to be like nine and eight. But again, I don't think the Jets are better than them. And then the Belichick teams, I don't, foresee the Patriots making the playoffs this year, especially with how stacked the AFC is. But at the end of the day, I wouldn't take the Jets over a Belichick team. So I would say probably about five wins is the Jets. I think I'm personally a bit higher on the Jets than you are. I don't think they'll make the playoffs. Like you said, it's a very competitive division. I mean, the Bills are, I think, last time I checked, they were the Vegas favorites to win the Super Bowl. I mean, such a talented team throughout the you know, all across the field. And, you know, the Dolphins, while, you know, there is concerns at quarterback, a lot of the other pieces around Tua are really good. You know, they just picked up Tyreek Hill. Jalen Jalen Waddle was amazing last season. They have Mike Kosicki. And then on the defensive side of the ball, we know how talented that, that defensive core is. So they should at least make a little bit of noise. But honestly, I could see the Jets, you know, finishing somewhere seven, maybe eight wins, you know, not sensational for what the Jets have experienced the last, what, 10 years. I think you would really take that. There's a lot of pieces I really like, especially for the future. I think Zach Wilson is going to take a jump. I know he's been in the news for non-football related reasons recently, but I really do, I really do think Zach Wilson's going to take that jump. I love the, the running back tandem of Brees Hall and Michael Carter. Wide receiver room is amazing. Elijah Moore was great last season. They pick up Garrett Wilson. Offensive line is slowly improving. Their defense has got some pieces, and I love the sauce, the sauce Gardner pick. So, you know, I think it, they could definitely, they'll definitely be a lot more competitive than they were last season. And, you know, I think this is a step in the right direction. Maybe the Jets have finally found their success. But heading over to the other New York football team, the New York Football Giants. Matthew, what are your thoughts on this team, and what are your expectations for the Giants going into the next season? Well, I'm even lower on the Giants than I am the Jets, as are you. So I call the NFC East the NFC least because it's the worst division in football by far. Uh, the Cowboys, they aren't very good. Well, I, I shouldn't say that. They could win probably nine games, but they're always going to underperform in the playoffs. We know who they are. They're not going to win the Super Bowl like their delusional fans will say they will. However, they do have the easiest schedule ranked in the NFL this year, and I looked it over. It is very easy. However, the Eagles also have the easiest schedule in that division. 
So uh, maybe Jalen Hurts will take a little bit of a jump. I'm hoping for that because I like him. I like the intensity he plays with. And the Washington Commanders, they're mediocre. I don't really trust Carson Wentz too much at quarterback. But out of all those teams, I can definitely say I believe that the Giants are the worst. With Mike Glennon at quarterback last year, it was a disaster. They couldn't do anything on offense. My roommates are Giants fans. They're always complaining about him, how bad it was. Daquan, as good as he was in college and in his rookie year, his first couple years, he's not that same guy anymore. I think that's pretty obvious. He's too injury prone. The line isn't very good. Daniel Jones, I believe he should have been gone already, but he's still there. I don't know how. It's just not a good situation at all. Yeah, I think there's way too many question marks for this Giants team. And, you know, even if, you know, the NFC East, East isn't the most competitive divisions, you still have the Philadelphia Eagles who vastly improved this season, my, or this offseason, in my opinion. The Cowboys have always, have always hovered, have always been an above average team. And I think they still remain in that case, despite what some fans, or what some Cowboys fans believe. But there's just way too many question marks on this team. I mean, Daniel Jones is probably the biggest question mark. Is he truly the guy? I don't think so. I agree with you. They probably should have went in a different direction. They did bring in Tyrod Taylor to kind of make that a bit of a quarterback competition, but still Tyrod Taylor is not the highest ceiling quarterback. He definitely has shown he can have flashes, but I don't really trust him, especially leading this team. I mean, Saquon Barkley, tremendously talented player. I mean, like you said, he in college, and especially his like first year or two, he was sensational. He's probably, yep. in my opinion, the greatest college player I've ever watched. I mean, even though I'm not a big Penn State fan, I mean, his his ta- he just jumped off the board every time you saw him in college. And their wide receiver room, Kenny Galladay, didn't score a touchdown last year. Sterling Shepard rem- always remains, never really stays consistently healthy. And then I like Kadarius Tony, but, you know, there are reports that he was going to get traded. And then both lines are really not that great so you know you you look at the team all around and it's just not looking that great for the new york football giants well it just goes to show how dysfunctional the organization is tony was a bright spot of the organization one of the very few we're talking about trading him why on earth would you even consider that just doesn't make any sense you know the as my as my friend once said you know the jason garrett and Joe Judge were handed the keys of a Ferrari. There were 17-year-old kids handed the keys to a Ferrari, and they didn't know how to use them. I mean, exactly. Kadarius Tony, you know, for those couple of games he actually was given touches, and before he got, I think it was a foot injury, he was really good. And, you know, I, he's one, still one of the fastest players in the NFL, and I think you can use him in a lot of ways, but it's just a matter, are the Giants willing to do that? And like you said, it really speaks, it's a really testament to how poorly this team has run that, one of their more promising players is disgruntled with the organization. I also feel like Candy Galladay not scoring any touchdowns. That, that was just an embarrassment. He got the bag. He dropped. He dropped the bag. Put it that way. Yeah, he and got it's, his money litter for him. He just did not play well last year. Yeah, and it's you know I thought when the Giants signed. Kenny Galladay. I always was always a Kenny Galladay guy. I thought he really flew under the radar, especially in Detroit. You know, once Marvin Jones kind of left and he became the number one in Detroit, he had a couple of thousand-yard seasons. And, you know, obviously he had Matt Stafford as his quarterback, who's 
better than Daniel Jones, but I really thought he was going to get maybe similar volume, but he, you know, Daniel Jones just couldn't find the ball. They didn't have that synergy. And I forget the stat. I, I'm trying to remember who it was. It was some offensive lineman for the Eagles. I can't remember, but he had more of receiving touchdowns than Kenny Galladay did. And, you know, obviously, obviously that is pitiful. If, you know, you're a Giants fan that you're, your number one guy is that bad. And I still think, I still believe that Kenny Galladay has the talent, but I think it just had more to do with this offensive scheme that Giants were running last year and the quarterback behind center. Yeah. I mean, even though he does have talent and I was pushing for the Dolphins to actually pick him up when we needed a receiver like last off season, he does have talent, but I felt that like, you know, he could have at least scored one touchdown and, Maybe, though, to your point, it is just a testament to how bad Daniel Jones is. He's definitely one of the worst starting quarterbacks in the league, if not the worst. I should uh, – I mean, I, I'm very low on Tua, so he's down there as well. Yeah, and I mean, you know, if let I mean, if the Giants do bottom out, there are two talented quarterbacks, three talented quarterbacks, really, who will probably be entering the 2023 NFL draft, so – You'd have to hope if they're bad enough, they can easily move on from Daniel Jones and find that and find that next guy. And I think that's maybe part of the reason why they didn't go for a quarterback, just because this quarterback class was really underwhelming. I mean, the only quarterback who won the first round was Kenny Pickett, someone I was low on, just because you know, obviously he he had he did well at Pitt, but a lot of the measurables he had, the small hands. I think he had the smallest hands by you know half an inch, which. While it may not seem a lot, especially like the person, maybe to like the average viewer, but I mean, obviously, the size of your hands allows you to grip the football and in turn allow you to throw it harder and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But so I don't know. I'm not that high on the Giants. They, they probably are in contention for one of the five worst teams in the NFL. I mean, I can't really think of, they're probably in that like four to like seven spot. I, I don't know what you think. They're definitely one of the worst teams, absolutely. I mean, there's a few teams like the Texans, the Jags, that are pretty awful, too. But the Giants are a contender. They're going to have a high pick. Yeah, I, I, and it will be something to watch. Maybe playing that, that soft schedule could really hurt them. Maybe they win a game or two just because of who else they're playing against. But it will be something to look out for. For sure. And on the subject of the Steelers, what do you think about them next year? Uh, I mean, you know, in terms of the Pittsburgh Steelers, I don't – I'm not that high on them. You know, I think they – you know, their quarterback their quarterback position really worries me. Like, while they did get an upgrade in Mitch Trubisky and Kenny Pickett, the upgrade wasn't really that substantial. And the Pittsburgh Steelers really don't have a good of a line anymore. I mean, I remember when – Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown and that team was, like, really, like, in their prime. They had a great line, but the line has deteriorated so much. I mean, we talked about how great Najee Harris was, and he did put up a lot of production, but the line behind, the line in front of him was just horrendous, and so he was only getting, like, three yards a carry. I think he averaged, like, somewhere around three, like, mid to low three yards per carry, which isn't good for running back. I think if everything clicks, they could maybe, maybe squeak into the playoffs, but... There's so much that just has to go right for them, and I think the AFC North is probably the second-best division in all of football. I mean, even though I expect them to take a step back, the Bengals 
are the reigning AFC champion and they have talent on that team, especially on the offensive end. I think Baltimore is going to have a bounce back. I mean, their team was just decimated with injuries and we saw how good they were when they are healthy. And I mean, if Deshaun Watson does play for the Cleveland Browns, I think that is also a top like three to five team in the entire NFL. So the division ahead of them is not that, you know, not that easy per se. So I think they'll probably hover around like a, Average, maybe, maybe if everything goes right, a slightly above average team, but I'm, I don't have the biggest expectations for them. I can definitely understand that. Okay, so we're at thirty. Okay, what else do you want to talk about? Because we got like, if we can do like ten more minutes, I'll, I think I'll just. I can talk about anything. I could go on about the Steelers now, or whatever you want to do. Okay, g- give me a couple thoughts on the Steelers, and I'll try to think of something. Right, I got you. You want me to start now? Yeah, sure. All right. So for the Steelers next year, I think losing Juju is definitely an important loss in a bad way. I mean, that I think he's going to have a great season with Mahomes next year. Mahomes is obviously a generational talent, and I'm glad for him. He's been playing with Big Ben, who's been on his last legs these past few years. And as we were discussing, they did pick up Kenny Two Gloves along with Mitch Trubisky, who are improvements from Ben on his last legs. But then again, with their division, as you just discussed, it's a stacked division. There's no doubt about it. The thing is, I've never seen a bad Mike Tomlin team in my entire life. So I do think they'll be average. But at the same time, I can't see them making the playoffs. And I am very high on Najee Harris. I hope he has a big season next year. But again... The line isn't very good, so he can only do so much, but I think he's got a hell of a future ahead of him. I also think Minka Fitzpatrick is a great player. Obviously, T.J. Watt, that defense is good. So, they'll be decent. Yeah, and I mean, they also, going to the uh, to the defense, they picked up Larry Ojemboji, I think that's how you pronounce his name, uh, and they also picked up Miles Jack, so they made that defense significantly better with Larry Ojemboji and then also um, Miles Jack. But also, going to your point about Juju, I, I kind of agree with you because – well, I do agree with you because he really provided that safety blanket, especially for, you know, Ben Roethlisberger. He would just throw him a bunch of, like, drag routes and slant routes underneath. But, you know, Deontay Johnson chased Claypool more so, more, so, more so towards Claypool. They're more deep threats, and they really don't have that underneath guy. Maybe Deontay Johnson can – become that just because I think he's really one of the more talented receivers in the entire NFL, but they really don't have that safety blanket kind of guy who can run multiple, like has an extensive route tree on that team. So that's maybe a bit worrying, especially because Mitch Trubisky isn't the most accurate deep ball thrower. So that is something also to watch out for. Yeah. And as much potential as he does just drop sometimes. It just drops out of nowhere, and you're like, what the heck, man? So he's definitely got to work on that. It's just the basics, really. Yeah, and I mean, I think – so hold on. I'm going to – I'm just going to – because I, I was just thinking that's solid. I'm going to do two more NFL points, and I actually just thought of something for the NBA we could talk about. So – Okay. So, you know, as we're continuing a bit of this conversation, what do you think is – a team a lot of people are sleeping on this season, and what do you think a team that's being overrated by, you know, 
by by people. So give me an underrated team or a team you think is going to break through and an overrated team. Team that's going to break through. I have the Philadelphia Eagles making the playoffs this year. I think that A.J. Brown was a huge acquisition. I'm going to see how Jalen Hurts will be with him there. I think Devontae Smith's only going to be getting better. I really hope they have a big year. And most overrated. Oof, that's a tough one. I may just have to say it's the Dolphins, honestly, because I've seen them fail me so many times. I've only seen them make the playoffs twice in all of my years of watching football, and everybody is hyping up, and I can totally understand that because there's so much talent on the team. But at the end of the day, the Dolphins are always going to be the Dolphins. They're always going to end up disappointing you. And I think that Tua, with his inability to throw the ball over 40 yards, they're either going to make the playoffs or they're going to get bounced in the first round. And they're just hyped up a little bit too much by some people. Yeah, and I, I love the Eagles pick. You know, I think I could really see them taking that next jump, especially if Jalen Hurts improves as a passer. But I'll, but I'll change things up. I'll say for my underrated team, I'm going to go with the Indianapolis Colts. I mean, they were – I feel like not a lot of people are talking about them, but they were really a game away from making the NFL playoffs last year. And I think they got an upgrade – at quarterback, despite, you know, Matt Ryan not playing to the level we saw a few years ago, I still think he's better than Carson Wentz, and he'll actually have, you know, a scheme around him. You know, he can play a lot off of Jonathan Taylor. He isn't relied upon as much as a passer. He could be more of a game manager in that sense, but he has Michael Pittman Jr. as a receiver, who I like. You know, besides from him, there are a couple of question marks, but I think, you know, the defensive play of the Colts is sensational. They have a really good offensive line. They probably have one, they have one of the three best running backs in all football in Jonathan Taylor. I really think they are going to make some. I really think they're going to win the AFC South, in my opinion. I think they are the division winner. But a team I think is overrated. I kind of alluded to this earlier. I'm not a big fan of the Cincinnati Bengals. I you know I think everything went right for them last season, and I don't think you really expect that this season. I mean, you know, everyone on their team stayed healthy. And I don't want to be that guy, but in the NFL, for almost all of your key players to stay healthy in back-to-back seasons is really a rarity. I mean, I don't want to, but like, you know, I they were really healthy, which helped them out. Their division was basically the opposite, where, you know, the Baltimore Ravens were decimated with injuries. The Cleveland Browns had to deal with the injury of Nick Chubb, and then also Baker Mayfield got hurt in week three two or three, and he wasn't the same player. The Pittsburgh Steelers, they were whatever. They had some injury problems, but I wouldn't say the extent of like a Baltimore Ravens. So I think, you know, their division is going to be healthy, which is going to make them better. I think Cincinnati is going to take a step back because their defense still isn't that great, or their defense still isn't amazing. You know, they're still, especially, they're still weak spots in that def- defense, especially on the defensive line. Their offensive line did get some pieces, especially Lyle Collins, but I still think it's at best average. And they got really, they were really healthy last season. It's hard for me to imagine that they stay as healthy this season. I think another really underrated team is definitely the Chargers. Justin Herbert is obviously a great player. He's the prototypical quarterback. If you wanted to start your team from ground up, you would want Justin Herbert leading it. Austin Eckler is super underrated. He can both run and catch the ball. 
that they added J.C. Jackson, who had a breakout season with New England. Khalil Mack is joining as well. And although he's not the same player, he's still a very impactful player. I'm excited to see them as well. Yeah, I mean that entire AFC West is going to be a is going to be a gauntlet. I mean, I think all those teams in any other division, I think you would consider them potentially Super Bowl contenders, and they're all playing in the same division. And it will be interesting to see how this shapes up. But going back to the NBA, there's reports coming out that DeAndre Ayton is very close to becoming an Indiana Pacer. They're trying to work a sign trade okay. with the Phoenix Suns. So obviously Ayton has been a part of one of the best teams in the in the Western Conference in the Phoenix Suns. They made the NBA Finals in the in 2021. They had the number one overall record in 2022, but you know collapsed in the second round against the Dallas Mavericks for you know I think it was a one of the worst playoff losses really. Period. But you know DeAndre has has had has had his issues, and I think there have been moments where he's been underwhelming, but. You take away a guy who, especially at his age, is, you know, a really, really great talent. And we don't know what they'll get back from the Indiana Pacers yet. Signing trades are always weird and you really can't predict stuff like this. But what is the loss of DeAndre Ayton going to mean for this Phoenix Suns roster? Well, my first thought was even bigger than the loss of DeAndre Ayton, maybe the loss of Kevin Durant. Because who are they going to trade for KD if they're trying to get him on the team I really don't see them winning a championship if they don't add Durant so with that being said obviously DeAndre Drayton's an important player they could get some picks back for sure some first rounders but he does add that scoring and that big man presence that they're gonna need they also just lost JaVale McGee as we talked about a little while back so that center position is kind of a hole there yeah I mean it's definitely a hole in that spot. And, and, you know, DeAndre Aiden has had, I think, is like, he's definitely been the weak link of the three, especially at times on this team. And, you know, if, if, even if he's gone, you know, their starting center is now Bismack Biombo, who, while he was great in some spurts for them last year, I don't think you can run him out for an entire 82-game season and a playoff in the playoffs as your starting center. You, you just can't. But, you know... In the point you mentioned about DeAndre Ayton with in terms of Kevin Durant, that is something to note for, to make note of. I, you know, obviously DeAndre Ayton would be the big chip in a KD sign trade just to make the money work. And then it, it, there is a weird, complicated thing where they can't have DeAndre Ayton and Ben Simmons on the same team. But regardless, I, I think unless they get something huge in return it, in terms of like a player, this is kind of bad for the Phoenix Suns. I. I wasn't a huge fan of giving him max, but given where this team is right now, they kind of had to just because you know how successful this core is that you did make a finals with them. Can you win it all? I don't know. But with Chris Paul being, I think, 37, he's he's on the last couple of years of his career. I I, I think this is the unless the Phoenix Suns work this really well, this could be potentially a really bad season in terms of what we saw the past couple of years from them. Well, we've seen Chris Paul melt down so many times in the playoffs, so it'll be 2-0 leads blown, 3-1 leads. So at this point in his career, I really don't see them winning a title. The last-ditch effort would have been to have KD, but obviously it's probably not going to happen. So I really don't think it's going up from here. They just got embarrassed by Luka. 
to where they go. They're not going to be able to beat the Warriors. They're not going to be able to beat the Mavericks, who are even better than they were last year. So they may be a high seed, but it really doesn't mean much. Yeah, and I mean, in general, the Western Conference is is so talented this season. You mentioned teams like the Warriors, who are the reigning NBA champions. The Dallas Mavericks, it, it will be I'm, – I'm interested to see how him and uh, Luke and Christian Wood fit together, but they were a playoff team. You look at what the Minnesota Timberwolves just did with adding Rudy Gobert. Say what you want about him in the playoffs. I think it makes them better in the regular season as well. You have the L.A. Clippers, who might be the deepest team in all of basketball, are going to get a top three to five player in the NBA back with John Wall now on the roster. You the, Kawhi will be playing with Norman Powell, Paul George. That team's going to be deep overall. You know, the Lakers, while, yes, I'm not as high – they're not as talented as they were when they won in 2020. They still have LeBron, who's been who's been a top who was like a top five to seven player this year, even with the rest of his team being garbage. Anthony Davis is still a top 15 player. They still their super their stars are still talented enough. And then another team, the New Orleans Pelicans, are another team I'm really excited for because Zion's yep. going to be joining that playoff team. There's just going to be so much competition in the Western Conference. The, the Suns will still easily make the playoffs, I think, unless. You know, Chris Paul or Devin Booker suffer a significant injury. But in terms of being like a title contender, unless unless they get Kevin Durant, I, I really don't. Or maybe like Miles Turner in a sign-in trade, in that sign-in trade to Indiana. But I don't see how that's going to work out. But going over to the Pacers, what do you think DeAndre Ayton adds to this team? You know, they just picked up Benedict Matherin in the draft. They have Tyrese Halliburton, who they got in the uh, DeMontis Sabonis trade. What does adding DeAndre Ayton do for that team? They're definitely rebuilding, as you just mentioned. It's a bunch of young guys. There's no stars. There's no pressure. Ayton's not going to be looked at to take them to the promised land. So there is potential for a breakout season, really. It's mainly his team, and I definitely think Halliburton's going to get really good over these next few years. But for now, I would say that Ayton is the best player on that squad. I I think it's close. It depends what you value. I th- I really think Tyrese Halliburton is due for a leap this season. He might be, honestly, you can maybe say he's in contention for most improved player because I think he'll be definitively the number one scoring option on that roster. And, I mean, the two-man game between him and – or between Aiton and Tyrese Halliburton will be something to watch. Uh, and also, I think DeAndre Ayn will just be able to expand his offensive game more. I mean, you know, we when going into the draft, I remember he was touted more as an offensive player than a defensive player, and he had a lot he could work with. He's shown some, of, he had some flashes as a shooter even, but once he came over to, to, once Chris Paul came over to Phoenix, he really was only used as like a pick and roll kind of a guy. He didn't really get to, you know, kind of create his own shot or you know, operate out of the post or the mid range or be able to sh- like move, work off the dribble more. So I think he'll be allowed to expand his offensive game more which I think could really help in terms of his development. But like you said, this team is a rebuilding team. I mean, they do have Tyrese Halberman, but a lot of their other guys are, you know, you know, whatever, or they're, you know, old, old guys from kind of that old, they're older guys from that Paul George, Victor Oladipo era of Pacers basketball from like the mid to late 2010s. Yeah. And back to what you were saying about Eaton not being the greatest defender. Obviously, we all saw the finals when Giannis was just going ham on him. That's still an issue, and I understand Giannis is one of the most dominant players in the NBA. 
but he does need to work on his defense a bit. It's not quite on par with his offense. Yeah, and maybe that's something, you know, Rick Carlisle has always been known as a defensive coach. We saw what he did with the Dallas Mavericks in 2011. I, I think if there's anyone who could, you know, teach him to be a better rim protector, it would be Carlisle. Again, yeah, that'd be a good reason for him to go to the Pacers, too. Yeah, it's something interesting to look at indeed, and that'll wrap it for this episode of X's and Opinions. I'm your host, Ron Henry, joined alongside my analysis, Matthew Soderbear, and, you know, what? Oh. Oh, no. I was just Sorry. Okay. I, I thought you were, like, interjecting for something. My no, bad. I'll no, record you're that. Kidding. That's okay. my fault. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of X's and Opinions. I'm your host, Ryan Henry, joined alongside my analyst, Matthew Soderbear. You're listening to a WSU podcast. If you want to listen to more podcasts – actually, no, I'm going to redo that. My bad. <laughs> okay, third time's charm. Okay. Thank you for listening to this episode of X's and Opinions. I'm your host, Ryan Henry, joined alongside my analyst, Matthew Sotobier. Thank you for listening to this episode. Come back here this time next week to listen to next week's episode of X's Opinions and any other WSU sports podcast. Once again, thank you for listening. Have a nice day. Stay safe and take care.